Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast uh, and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. So great to be here back at our kitchen table. Hello, everybody. We have a couple of really hot topics. So first, of course, everyone's talking about the midterms and there's somebody oddly missing on the campaign trail, and that would be the president of the United States. But also we're going to talk about the CDC because the CDC is supposed to be giving life-saving advice, but now they are giving guidelines that don't refer to women as women. And there's some confusion that could actually affect people's health. Go figure. We'll get to that. But first, let's talk about the midterms because Barack Obama is everywhere, Sean, all over the country. Yes, and I think it's smart to bring in the best, um, the best surrogates you have to bring out the most voters for you and for your party. And so oftentimes when you have a sitting president, that is uh, the big dog in politics. And if they come to see you in your district or your state to campaign for you, that's a big deal. And a lot of candidates oftentimes will uh, lobby or pressure the administration to come and do events for them because it's it's a substantial lift in a campaign. That's not the case with Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Biden has been spending a lot of time in his basement in in Delaware or hanging out in the White House in Washington, D.C., but he's not spent a lot of time on the campaign trail. He did go to Pennsylvania and campaign for Fetterman. He's going to Florida where they know they're going to lose. He did make a stop in Wisconsin as well. But oddly, Joe Biden is not making a stop in Arizona, Nevada, or Georgia. Now, those three states have really competitive Senate races right now. And those three states, Joe Biden won by a hair. So if he was helpful in those states, no doubt he would go to those states. But Joe Biden is staying home. Yeah, it's interesting. Our daughter actually went to the Obama event in Milwaukee and said, now, this is a, a young lady. She's 23 years old. She's an editor for or a writer for The Federalist. She's also a campaign child, like grew up on the campaign trail, has been to countless Trump rallies. And when she, so she's somebody who knows what a rally that's brimming um, at the seams looks like, bursting at the seams. Of course, she went to many Trump rallies in Wisconsin. And she was there um, for several hours interviewing people in line. And as they were getting ready um, for Barack Obama to come out, and she said the crowd's were thin. 
Um, that never happened at a Trump rally, Shauna. You've been to many Trump rallies in Wisconsin as well. I mean, have you ever seen a thin crowd even an hour before a Trump rally? And I don't know. I mean, what do you think that means in in Milwaukee, of all places, where, you know, that's a deep blue area in Wisconsin? Well, well two things. One, when Trump does his rallies now, there's still massive crowds and big yeah. lines. Uh, but also, traditionally, Barack Obama still gets big crowds. Uh, he's able to energize voters uh, in the Democrat Party. He's able to bring out big numbers and people want to see him. What's interesting, though, in this cycle is that people actually don't want to come out and see Barack Obama because they're not excited about Democrats, Democrat policies and what they've actually done to the country. And so you mentioned our daughter, Evita. Uh, they said that Barack Obama was speaking at a high school gymnasium. Yes. And the way they 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 set the stage at the gymnasium was to funnel people right in the middle of the uh, area where in front of the stage, where if you have the camera shot going from the back to the front of the stage where the speaker is speaking, it looks like there's a lot of people there, a lot of excitement. But they had corralled everyone into the front. Now, to think that Barack Obama can't fill up a high school gymnasium in Wisconsin in a campaign year with an aggressive Senate race, Ron Johnson running for a third term. Uh, uh, Tony Evers is defending the governorship. That you can't pack the crowd in Milwaukee is actually shocking. And I think it speaks to the point that there's not a lot of enthusiasm for Democrats because of what they've done to our country in just a you know short period of time, not even two years. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the people who would come to a, a, a rally for Barack Obama in Milwaukee are poor people, are working class people in the Milwaukee area. And no one's been hurt more than um, black families, poor families, working class families, they're feeling it. And yeah, I, I think it's hard to, um, to, to generate that kind of enthusiasm. What do you make of, of the fact that um, Barack Obama is going out to Nevada, Sean? How do you feel about that race? I think wherever Obama goes, he is effective. I think he, you know, can, it's, it's not just people that come, I should say, you know, he, he had a low turnout at the Milwaukee event, but we saw clips all over Wisconsin when he came on TV. You see clips on the national news. That's a big deal. Just the press that comes after the arrival of. of Did he of seem Barack rusty Obama. to you, though? I, I thought he seemed rusty. He seemed tired, like that same old, you know, class warfare. It's interesting because well, it's one thing to be. Throw man down, game he plays. Yeah, but it's also he was hitting Ron Johnson for being ritual. Barack Obama is fabulously wealthy right now, um, flying on jets. You know, three three mansions, one in Hawaii, private jets, and then he was hitting Ron Johnson for being rich and and by the way, for actually having a, a company that he and his family built, um, and his wife built. But like he was hitting them for having private jets. I mean, Sean, do you think that um, Brock is flying commercial? I'd love to see the pictures of that Barack Obama on a Delta <laughs> flight. Up in first class, that does not happen. He's flying, no, no doubt, on private aircraft. Um, what does this tell you about the race, Sean? Well, I think what, what this tells me is one. I think one Obama's effective. That's why he comes out. If you have a tough race, bring Barack Obama in. He feel come for you. Number one, is he effective or is he just the only one no, that they well, got? I mean, he's, he's all they got right he's now. The best one they have, right? So you send out the best surrogate that you can get to come and campaign for you. And that, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I'm not a fan of Barack Obama, but Democrats like him. Independents like him. Um, and the problem. For Joe Biden, though, is that his poll ratings are so bad. He is at 40 percent. And not only are they low, but he doesn't generate any excitement when he's on the camp on the campaign trail, when he's on the stump. 
He doesn't speak clearly with authority. He doesn't energize people. So think back into 2018. So that's the midterms for Donald Trump. Donald Trump hit the campaign trail. Everyone wanted Donald Trump to come to their district or their state mm-hmm. to campaign for them. And Donald Trump was rating in the low 40s, his approval rating, mm-hmm. about, where, about where Joe Biden is right now. But you see the difference. Donald Trump had a, a love from the party. The party faithful, the base wanted to see him. They wanted to hear from him. They got in the lines that you talked about I mean, massive for hours lines. to come in and hear him give a rally. So that that part of it, I think, is a distinct difference between what and even and even uh, Barack Obama in in 2010 uh, when I won in the Congress. Oh, yeah. He came and hit the campaign trail because, again, he had low approval ratings. People didn't like his policies. But they still liked him, and he was an effective surrogate on the campaign trail. But, Sean, do you remember 2008 when he could fill up amphitheaters? And now he can't fill up a gymnasium in Milwaukee. Um, I think it's really interesting. Um, I just got back from Staten Island um, doing some work for Fox and Friends. The enthusiasm for – now, I know this is a kind of a Republican area. Um, but it's still New York City. It's still New York area. People are tired. Um, they they are they really are are enthusiastic for Lee Zeldin. Let me give you a, a stat, Sean. There's early voting numbers already. So you have the Bronx and and Staten Island. The Bronx is three times the size of Staten Island, and the early voting numbers for Staten Island and Bronx and the Bronx are about the same. And mind you. Republicans tend to vote on Republican on on voting on election the election day. day. And and so I, I think this is this spells disaster for the uh, Democrats. Here's here's why. So if, if you don't live in New York, right, it's, it's fun. to. I don't live in New York, nor do you. No. Sadly, sadly Although I went to Staten Island, and I was like, maybe we should have lived in Staten Island. They're, those are good people there. So what's interesting about this and why everyone kind of cares about these races, not just how well are Republicans doing in really blue states. So again, New York state is a 60, 40 state, 60 Democrat, 40 Republican. And Lee Zeldin is within striking distance. He can win the governor's race. But what's important is that Democrats have to spend millions of dollars in a deep blue state to defend Kathy Hochul. The money that's spent in New York state can't be spent in other races across the country. They're spending money in the state of Washington, um, <laughs> Smiley, um, I forget her first name. Um, She's a great candidate. She Mom, is. Uh, uh, strong. Yeah, so so they're spending money in deep blue Washington to defend that Senate seat Democrats are. And again, they're losing in Nevada. It's a tight race in Arizona. I think they're losing in Georgia, and it's a, and it's a tight race in Pennsylvania. Spending big money on all of those races, which leaves less money to go to a race like Ron Johnson. The, the race in Michigan, mm-hmm. um, in the that's governor's right. race. We didn't mention that. That's right. That's a big race. It's a big race. But that was supposed to be a, a shoe-in for um, for Democrats. Well, Gretchen, I think what, I think what, what we look back, by the way, I do think Tudor Dixon's going to win. That's my prediction. I think Tudor Dixon's going to win. I think she's going to beat Gretchen Will, uh, uh, Whitmer. And I think when we look back at that loss for the Democrats, it's going to be that moment in the town and in, in the uh, in the debate, when Gretchen Whitmer said the kids were only locked down for three months, um, I think that and 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 you can't you know they've been trying to lie in, in New York. When I was um, at the diner in Staten Island, one of the things that the diners kept saying is that 
Hochul, Governor Hochul must not live in our state, like in our city. Like, how can she say that crime's not as bad as it is? Um, And the same thing, I think, with Gretchen Whitmer. I mean, for her to tell parents who had their kids in Michigan in their kitchen tables doing their classwork over Zoom, that they were only there for three months. I mean, how, how did she think she could get away with that? And I think that really angered people because I think there's a lot of residual anger about COVID policies, about the lies, about the businesses that were destroyed, about the masking of children and the way it hurt people, um, about the lying over the vaccine and its efficacy, um, about trying to limit people's ability to travel and move around the country based on these on rules and regulations that weren't you know, science-based. I think people are really angry about that. I've told you this too, Sean, in states like Arizona, and um, Nevada, where the Hispanic where the Hispanic vote is going to be a big deal. I think it's it's one of the sleeper issues is the elitism. Those people who were the working class who worked in restaurants and hot kitchens and had to wear masks for over a year. And, and then they had to serve food to rich people um, like Barack Obama and Nancy Pelosi at her fundraisers who weren't wearing masks. The elitism of it, I think, is grating and they haven't forgot it. I I, I don't think anyone's ever done a poll on that. I wish I could. I wish I had a lot of money. I would hire a poll on that because um, I would fund one because I think that there's a lot of residual COVID anger. I think you're going to see that come out in Michigan. And I think that comment she made just sort of touched a hot button issue there. But the, 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 the lies, the, the point of servants wearing masks and those attending the party don't. It's just, this is just gross. It's, it's just it's so it's un-American. Just, it's disgusting. But here's what I think is just on the, I, I'm, I'm a believer that you make mistakes in life, you make mistakes in politics. And if you say you're sorry and you made a mistake we had, you had, in COVID, you had imperfect information and you shut sure. schools down too long. And I, I know you're frustrated. If it happened again, we would do it differently. I learned my lesson. That goes a long way to taking that kind of an issue off the table. But Gretchen Whitmer, who actually believed in the policy, who's not sorry, what does Cuomo go, listen, you're only locked down for three months. What are you complaining about? <laughs> that in, in, I mean, in New York, it would be easy for Governor Hochul to go, listen, we tried this, you know, no bail stuff. We tried to let criminals out of jail, you know, early, you know, MTR prisons. We tried, you know, criminal justice reform. It didn't work. People are get good, innocent New Yorkers are getting hurt. I'm sorry. We tried it, but it didn't work. We're going back to strict law enforcement. That would actually work. She would win the race if she had one speech so just like that. However, she'll never do it because one, she thinks <laughs> the far left will leave her. But two, she is the far left. She, yeah. she believes in the in the, you know, the woke criminal justice system where no one is held to account. By the way, can I just talk about I. I I feel bad for Nancy Pelosi's husband who got hit with a hammer. I, I was say that straight up. But it's interesting. I don't hear the left clamoring to let this defendant out of jail within hours of the attack on Paul Pelosi. He's too important, Sean. Paul Pelosi's too right. So there's a there's, he's an important. He's if, a VIP. If you commit a crime against a Democrat, they're all about criminal justice. Mm. They're all about having guns on their security detail, but no guns for you. They're all about fences around their homes, but no fences around our border. The hypocrisy that you say, well, we're going to go, we're going to throw the book at the attacker on Paul Pelosi, which, by the way, they should throw the book at him. But that's not their policy, because if you're the victim of a crime and you're not Paul Pelosi, your attacker is out in, in hours. Yes. And true. I think I think people see not just the masks that you mentioned, but the hypocrisy around how the elite are treated if a crime is committed against them. 
and how you're treated if a crime is committed against you. This two-tiered system, I think, have people thoroughly fed up. And, and liberals, who are true liberals, they disagree with this. This is not liberalism. This is leftism, Marxism, socialism, communism. But it's not liberalism. The traditional right. liberal doesn't go. Bill Maher is a traditional liberal. He's pushing back on this craziness going, this is not my party. This is not what I believe in. Mm-hmm. This is this is this is the wrong path forward for America. And I can say it because I'm a traditional liberal who, by the way, I disagree with them vehemently. But in recent days, I'm like, maybe I agree with the traditional liberals a little bit more because it's there's not a lot of them, though. That's the problem, Sean. There's not against. a lot of those Bill Maher kind of people standing up and saying, you know, there's also that elitism. And I keep coming back to that because another, you know, you talk about second chances. If you admit you did something wrong, people will forgive you, right? I look at the economy. So today we had a statistic, Sean, that came out. It's actually a really sad one, especially coming out of COVID and the kind of pain that so many small businesses experienced during COVID. I mean, so many of them didn't make it. And then the ones that survived it, you know, they got through it. And then this economy hit, um, this inflation hit, this Biden um, negligence of our economy because they're just hell bent on um, destroying American independence and dominance uh, for this woke climate ideology. So the stat that I saw today was that 40 percent of American small businesses were not able to pay their rent last month or this month in October. Wow. 45% of New York businesses couldn't pay their rent, did not pay their rent in October. So small businesses are suffering. When I was at the, um, the diner, Sean, I spoke to several people. Um, one was a guy who had a, a, he gave tours on, on fishing boats. So he's got diesel. You can imagine what his business is, how his business is doing. But there's all these unexpected businesses. There was a florist I met. Um, he said, it's not just the cost of, of the roses uh, that I'm paying Valentine's Day prices in November for them at cost. But he said, I have a greenhouse. How do you think we warm our greenhouse? Yeah. With heating oil. That's through the roof. He said it was over twice as much as what he paid, you know, a year ago for it. Um, the guy who ran the diner said eggs were, you know, they were, if they were $30 a crate, they're $62 a crate. Bacon is up um, more than that. And, and then he said lettuce. He said he took the lettuce and he said, forget about it. He said it was like $80, $80 um, a, a crate. He was paying 20, 26 to $28 before. I mean, you, it's hard to keep a business open when your core ingredients and materials are that expensive. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Since the 1970s, working class Americans and U.S. investors who saved wealth in dollars have seen the dollar lose over 80% of its purchasing power. In contrast, investors who diversified their cash into gold saw gold appreciate over 5,000%. For Americans who invested $50,000 in gold when America left the gold standard in the 70s, their gold is worth more than $2.5 million today. While gold carries no guarantees and past performance does not equal future results, investors who do their own research will see that gold's performance over this time span is what gold has consistently done in the face of eroding paper currencies. 
For over 15 years, St. Joseph Partners has built its business with a singular focus on helping investors diversify their wealth and protect their families in physical gold and silver you hold in your hand. Don't let your hard-earned savings go unhedged. Call St. Joseph Partners or go to our joint website, kitchengold.net, not .com. That is kitchengold.net and protect your wealth. We're just getting a little taste of what it's like to live in California. Yeah. This, these these, these yeah. policies destroy, destroy states, they destroy cities. I've said it a million times. And these same policies are going nationwide. And all they have to do is give, all they have to do is change their energy policy, John. That's right. It's, it's, it's easy. So um, again, bad policies with bad politicians give massive results in midterms. So November 8th, um, and I've said this a number of times, I think the wave is going to be bigger than the pollsters are saying. I, I look at the Fox power rankings, and I've said this on Fox as well. I think they're underestimating the number of Republican seats that will be won. I, I just see you have a feeling on, on what's happening that you don't see in polls. And I think the, the feeling is there that this is going to be bigger than the pollsters are even picking up. And so, again, I'm more bullish on the House and the Senate. And the Senate. You said the House than the Senate. I'm more bullish on the House. Yeah. Right. In a sense, I think yeah. Republicans are going to have a 30 to 35 seat majority uh, in the uh, in the House, I think of Fox Power Rankings have that have a 16 seat majority. I'm almost double what the Fox Power Rankings say, so you can hold me to account uh, if I'm wrong on that. And I'm just, I, I think Republicans win the Senate at least by one seat. What happens with the seat in Utah, Sean? I've, I've seen real clear politics say that it's a 53 seat Republican majority. I don't know, but uh, so uh, Utah, this is um, Evan McMuffin versus um, uh, versus Mike McMuffin, Mike Lee McMuffin. We call McMuffin at our house. I guess Mike Lee, I think, so for my contacts in Utah, they say that Mike Lee is going to win. I hope you're right. Um, because uh, McMuffin, McMullen, is a, um, is a is a closet Democrat. His money's coming from Democrats. His money's, his, his advisors are Democrats. Um, and so he's playing this little game in Utah to pretend like he's a conservative uh, Republican when he's actually a woke liberal Democrat. So I think that's, the, Utah's too smart for I hope that's true. I hope that's true. But before before we go, I know it must not be fun to be Barack Obama right now going around, picking up all the basically the mess mess that Joe Biden left. But let's just face it. Barack Obama wanted Joe Biden in. He said he wanted a third term, Sean. He said he he would love it was actually on camera on an interview said, I wish I had a, a third term. That would be great where I didn't have to actually do the do the job out front, but I could just kind of make those decisions from behind. I think that's exactly what happened. I believe there's a cabal of people running our country. It's very clear that Joe Biden isn't. Um, I don't even think Jill Biden, the breakfast taco, si lady is doing it. I think it's Barack Obama. So then let him go and clean up the mess. Um, Cause it's his mess actually. Right? It's his mess. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about the CDC, Rach. What's, what's the story with regard to the, a great institution of science, the Center for Disease Control, the CDC, uh, that has come out and said, listen, as we put out our guidelines in regard to COVID, we're going to scrub mother, the name mother, we're going to call them birthing persons. We're going to scrub he, her, any, any, any gender specific pronouns. Right. So they're coming out with guidance on flu vaccines for pre- during pregnancy. Uh, flu vaccines. Flu vaccines during pregnancy. So pretty important. Um, I'm personally not one who likes to take the flu vaccines, but there's plenty of women um, and their doctors who think that women should do that. 
and they have replaced she, her and mother. They've completely wiped it off the guidelines. Um, so it's now pregnant people. And so they've essentially desexed their guidance in order to, I guess, be more inclusive for trans people. And it's kind of troubling, Sean, because um, if you're a pregnant woman and you do get the flu, it is def- definitely more dangerous for you to get the flu if you're if you're pregnant. And there's a couple of things that concern me. One is we have a lot of people where English is their second language. I mean, we're a country of immigrants. So pretty confusing for someone who's a non-English speaker or second language English speaker to understand these guidelines when there's no reference to mother. So you're pregnant. But they're saying pregnant people, they're saying pregnant people, they're not saying she, her, he. So that's kind of confusing. But in general, um, it's confusing to everyone. I mean, I think it's very clear if you don't have a uterus and you don't have ovaries, you can't be pregnant. So why is our federal government's health department essentially doing this? Now, the department's run by a trans person as well. Well, there's Rachel Levine. Right. Who's well, running some of this? First, I think this is great politics. Good for the CDC before this next election. Yeah, that to, is probably bad. To, uh, to, to, to scrub. <laughs> Someone's like, that memo wasn't supposed to go out to, <laughs> till, till November 9th. But so what, what they're really saying is, listen, if you're, a, if you're a woman who is in the wrong body and you're supposed to be a man and you're going to have a surgery to you know, make yourself, at least on the outside, a man, but you could still have a baby. So you're, a, you're you say, you call yourself a man, even though you're really a woman. That means we can't really identify what you are. So we have to call it a birthing person. Right. Because we know that men can't have babies. I don't know that the CDC or the in quote scientists in government would admit that. But men can have babies, uh, cannot have babies. Yeah, I, I thought you said can. I, yes, I was I like, can't. I just, I, I slowed that together so I'm going to make sure I pronounce it. Cannot, that cannot have, have babies. babies. But how stupid is this? Again. You have to be a woman to have a baby. And if you have a baby, you're called a mother. That's standard English language and the stupidity that government tries to change language to appease the smallest sliver segment of the population, who, by the way, what's so offensive if you've given birth to a child of being called a mother? And if you're offended by that, you got other problems yourself if you if you can I read you what the paragraph says, Sean? Sure. So the introductory paragraph used to say the flu is more likely to cause severe illness in pregnant women than women of reproductive age who are not pregnant. That was the guideline. Now it says um, influenza is more likely to cause severe illness in pregnant people than in people of reproductive age who are not pregnant. And even, um, you know medical experts at Harvard are saying, this is silly. We really shouldn't, we should not mess with this. By the way, they also did this with the monkeypox guidelines as well. Again, another, you know, important, you know, infectious disease that people should know what, what, you know, whether they fall into a high risk category or not. Sean, I think that this is going to, this has already, this whole debate over what is a woman um, has opened up, I think, an amazing opportunity for real feminists and specifically for conservative women. Because at this point in um, American politics and in American culture, the only group of people who are standing up for women are conservatives. And specifically conservative women are deeply offended. Conservative women really 
want to have the right to be called a, that that is that is our right that is the right of our gender um to be called a mother and and so i think they're standing up for women's sports for our girls in their sports um conservative women are standing up for the idea of motherhood for um uh the idea of little girls in the womb who are being targeted through um, sex selection, abortion across the globe, and even here in the United States. Um, and now you're seeing old school feminists, uh, honest ones, looking at what the feminist movement and, and frankly, their obsession with abortion um, has wrought. Um, they are seeing that um, the idea of saying that there is no gender, that gender is a social construct, has not actually elevated the status of women, has not celebrated the status of women. It's actually had the opposite effect. And now we're seeing men winning, winning competitions that women should have had a place in. Um, we're seeing even men grace the covers um, and the pages of of Sports Illustrated swimsuit editions. We're seeing men taking over in the makeup industry. They're becoming the most coveted models. Um, we're seeing um, even on Miss, the Miss America pageants. Now, I'm not saying those are bastions of feminism, by the way, but I'm just saying that women are seeing themselves erased um, and, and that our gender is not having um, is not having the respect that it's due. And the only people standing up for it are conservative women on mass and the few old school liberals who are left. And I think you're going to see some sort of alignment. Um, and I think more importantly, conservative women are going to take that mantle and run with it. So I, I look at this and I think of the emperor has no clothes, right? So this is a war on women, 100%. 100%. Thank you for saying it that simply. But this is not the first war on something. It's a war on women today, but before the war on women, there was a war on Christmas. Remember, <laughs> you couldn't say Merry Merry Christmas. You went to your Christmas right. shopping, and at the store, yes, the the, yes. the checkout clerk was not allowed to say Merry Christmas, and you were felt happy holidays. You, you had to be uncomfortable saying Merry Christmas to someone um, if uh, you know that's what you were celebrating at that time of year. And if someone if someone said Happy Hanukkah, maybe like Happy Hanukkah right back at you. I mean, like, right? it didn't I mean, bother it you. Doesn't now. bother me. There at used all. to be a time that was okay. And what happened with Christmas? I think the, the war on Christmas, they still want to, you know, fight that battle. But we've kind of we've kind of taken that one back. And it came from, you know, this 70 some year old billionaire who's the president <laughs> of the United States. The disruptor. Who after he won, he was like, Christmas is back. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. And like said Merry Christmas all the time and, you know, told everyone else to say Merry Christmas. And it actually happened. Yeah. And I think. It was Christmas Donald, trees, not holiday trees. Donald Trump calling the stupidity of the left's war on Christmas made other people go, this is actually really stupid. I am going to I'm going to make a point of saying Merry Christmas if I'm working or if I'm shopping. I'm going to say it because that's what I'm celebrating. And again, I think this, this isn't a winter tree. This isn't a holiday tree. It's a Christmas tree. Governor started to do it's that. It's not too, a holiday Sean. concert. No, it's a Christmas concert. And what happened, it, I think the same, same thing is here. Their argument is just as weak, or this war is just as weak, the war against women, as it was against Christmas. And we just need brave. But there's a difference, Sean. There is a deep difference. You know, and, and by the way, I'm deeply offended by, by the, the war on Christmas. As a Christian, 
I'm deeply offended by the fact that they want to take away my, my religious holiday. They want to somehow make it a dirty word. I hate that. But the problem with what you're saying with, with, with the war on women is the victims are the weakest. So it's our, our girls on their, you know, girls in their sports. It's, um, it's also dangerous. There's a, uh, you have men now entering into spaces that they should not be that actually endanger women. They have to give women birth control pills when they go to prison because any man who says that they're identifies as a woman can be housed with them. And we've already had cases of women getting pregnant in prison. We have uh, young boys entering into locker rooms with girls or girls not being able to change in their locker rooms because there are trans boys there. I mean, there's there are real victims um, of this, in my opinion. And then it, this goes all the way down to the castration um, and and all the gender confusion that is being that that now has led to the castration of children you know i think of this uh, you know i think of toxic masculinity which i'm absolutely opposed to that phraseology i don't think masculinity is toxic but maybe there is toxic masculinity in the men who think they're women and then you go through this trans this transition and they get really mean and like we want to take over women's sports we want to you know we want to spike we want to spike volleyballs in the face of a girl a girl across the net and knock her out I think that it become they become really aggressive. Um, in the you mean aggressive movement. in in their um, demands and, and their, culturally, and they're, and they're protesting and they're yeah. and they're rallying and they're and their threats. Oh yeah, no, I think it becomes yeah. it becomes very and the heightened. way they've in, they've they've infiltrated into the curriculums of our schools and our teachers' colleges. Absolutely, um, I'll say this, Sean. I think Virginia is not alone in caring about what's happening in our schools with CRT and gender ideology. I think it is a sleeper issue. When I go to, when I go to diners across the, the country and I do town halls, people will say that, you know, inflation, the border, crime, but they always come back to the kids because that's really, I think, where you talk about a war, there is a war on our children um, and their minds and on their hearts. And I think in the end, that's what people care about the most. And nothing says that more than um, what's happening in our education system. And, and frankly, what's happened to them over the last couple of years with COVID and the lockdowns and the way that they've been, their education and their rights to an education um, and a good one have been violated on so many levels through COVID mandates all the way down to you know, this Marxist ideology that's being shoved down their throats. Yeah, this puts us uh, at to November eighth again. This, I think, you're right. This is a, a, an undercurrent of an issue in, in Michigan. And that governor's race, it's not an undercurrent; it's out in the open, and that is the issue of that race, just like it was uh, in Virginia. But you have you have votes in America going, you know, voting for sanity, common sense right now, common sense in regard to our kids' education, in regard to genders, in regard to energy, in regard to spending. That, you know, most Americans are, are smart and they want common sense in the government. They don't have that right now. So, listen, Rachel, great conversation. Thank you um, for picking these couple of topics for us. Nice job. Um, if you like our podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe to From the Kitchen Table, wherever you get your podcast. We would appreciate that. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. And um, until next time, we'll see you later. All right. Bye, everybody.
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. In these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.